0: Apologize for uh running a bit late today on multiple accounts. A- yeah so my laundry yesterday that i put in didn't end up getting washed and the reason why it's so pertinent is because i'm i'm flying to la tonight so i need some <laughs> fresh undies and socks and then i had this big banking issue and i was on the phone for this like, is a
1: litany of excuses
0: uh, what can i say i was up a, early though I for was li- a
1: 90 minute
0: tardiness. i was literally up at like 8 a.m though not to say that's early it's just that we were gonna eat at nine thirty, and I was up and ready to go. I was gonna wake up. I was gonna take my laundry okay. out of the wash, put it up so to dry. So, is, is
1: it helpful though if you wake up early but you don't actually show up on time? Like, what, how does that serve my purpose?
0: Well, there is some benefit here. Yeah, move the plant so we can make eye contact. But uh, maybe we'll start <laughs> off with this. So, <laughs> I was uh, I met up with Scott M, making member yesterday, and we were just randomly talking. About just, he had some feedback. He's really good about being very critical. Not critical, just like kind of voicing his opinions on how it could be better or how things could be better. No, I think that's
1: good. I think, I don't think critical is necessarily a negative, sorry,
0: one second. Depends how people look at it.
1: I don't think critical has to be negative connotation. It just means that you were analytical about something. Yes.
0: So his feedback was over the course of making it up, he really enjoys it, yada, yada, yada. He was saying that there are times when we're having these discussions and he feels as though there's no sort of conclusion. It doesn't end up in a place. It doesn't kind of arrive at a point. And even though I think you and I try to do that, I don't think maybe we're intentional enough about it.
1: I think that's fair.
0: Yeah. So what it means, in my opinion, is two things maybe. Be more prepared, which I was able to do because I had... Because you no, had to wait
1: for your laundry to wait begin. Wait my
0: laundry. Um, secondly, I think it's also arriving at why is this story relevant and important to us? And while subconsciously there's a reason why it's important, I don't think we're doing enough to express why. Yeah. And it's about, hey, you know what, asking Charisse, you know, why is this important to you? And I think we have done it here and there, but not consistently.
1: I actually think that maybe it's more interesting to ask the question why something is important when it's not apparently obvious like when we did vice that's really obvious why is this important because it's about workplace abuse and misconduct right but then when we're talking about like muji or space in Japan, uh, japanese culture those kinds of topics it's like well how is this relevant to our day-to-day lives you know what should i take away from this
0: yeah another thing he mentioned too was how can you take this news piece or this topic and find a way to relate it back to your own sort of personal experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think kind of doing the same, like why something's important and how it relates to your experiences. But I think automatically without being as concrete as, so in conclusion, (laughs) Sharice, how is this important to you? I think that there has to be some sort of guidance towards that direction.
1: Yeah. Like, why does this matter?
0: just as much as you think you're doing something it it often takes someone that's one or two steps removed to think and frame something up for you and for so you understand exactly where your shortcomings are basically
1: on this topic i also got some feedback from a listener she has written in before benedetta a and she was responding actually waited so last week was a guest um guest episode Two weeks ago, we spoke about um, how Japanese culture perceives space. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote in in response to that. But I wanted to wait until I could share it with yeah. you. VS with Edward. But so, question,
0: yeah. How is uh, your experience with Edward?
1: Okay, so we're going to circle back.
0: Yeah, we'll circle back.
1: All right. Um, am, I, am,
0: I, am I on the chopping block?
1: My experience with Edward. So he is, he, I think talks more than you. Like if you just let him go on he is more
0: were you trying to be polite though is that why
1: i don't know i was kind of so i was cutting it afterwards and i was wondering oh is it because he's a guest that i kind of held back a little bit here
0: like, i think so i, I think our previous ones are longer too <laughs> i don't think you were there but uh when Elfic started cutting he's like oh 65 minutes 63 oh, minutes and the edward like, one yeah it's longer yeah
1: it is I, I i thought about that afterwards i was like oh maybe i should cut some stuff out but then the way he talks, is also really difficult to cut stuff out because it's very much like the way he thinks is like, oh, this is connected to this. And that reminds me of this. Yeah. Anyway, it was fun. But, you know, what's funny is that I've now done two guest episodes and you haven't had a chance yet. Yeah. To bring anyone on. I have to travel more.
0: All right. Circle back.
1: Okay. So Benedetta A uh, responding to the episode two weeks ago about... The perception of space in Japanese culture. She sent a PDF to me. Actually, I haven't got a chance to dive into it, but it's called "Reconsidering Cultural Heritage in East Asia," edited by Akira Matsuda and Luisa Alina Mangoni. And the point of it Whoa, that she well highlighted. Done with the names. Thank you. The point of the PDF, the reason why she sent it to me, was this particular section about how in Europe people perceive of history as something to be preserved and put on display like in museums and in monuments but in japan their perception of history is to keep it living and they have this idea of living national treasures so buildings or traditions or the way you make handicrafts those things they live on by people continuing to do them in modern times as opposed to creating exhibits about them or putting them in museums
0: Mm -hmm. interesting
1: yeah, I thought it was an interesting perspective and she linked that to the spaces conversation by saying oh maybe it's a continuation of how Japanese people think about think more relationally like we were talking about spaces and how that influences people's interactions in a space mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same idea of Japanese people perceiving of history in relation to how we still interact with it now and not just like as a done Thing yeah in the past Yeah. so thank you to scott and benedetta
0: all right i'm trying to load the making it up notes but it's not loading anyways shall we get going shall we kick off things
1: okay in last friday's briefing i included this essay in the atlantic on the subject of whether higher education is a giant waste of time and money. And the essay is edited and revised, drawn from a book written by Brian Kaplan, who is a professor of economics at George Mason University. The book is called The Case Against Education. The entire book is presents this argument of why education is a waste of time and money. So to give some... Stats, college graduates, okay, this also this entire conversation is North America-based because the stats are North America. And also, I think the cultural attitude, we can talk about it. So in the States, college graduates earn 73% more than high school graduates. And Kaplan argues that really what a diploma does is it just signals to future employers certain things about you. And it's not that you're actually learning things by going to school, but you are getting a valuable symbol that's attached to you. Yeah. And then I shared it in the Slack and actually kicked off some pretty interesting discussion.
0: I would love for you to sort of highlight some of your favorite responses or the ones that got you thinking.
1: So... One of them came from Ryan P and he said, you know, I think if I did take a four-year fellowship at a company out of college, instead of spending time in school, I would have been better equipped for challenges. But it's hard to say as someone who didn't go to college, if you can comprehend what that means, which is true. And so like full disclosure, like you and I both did higher education. So it is hard for us to speak from a vantage point of not of having opted not to do it or of not having had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that I think we should say off the bat is Brian Kaplan. And we can only have this conversation because we have access to college in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because if you are someone who doesn't even have access or means, then hearing this probably doesn't even, you know, that probably.
0: I I think there's several things at play here. It's, First off, the importance of school and less about access. Cause I think, so I went to school in Canada, post secondary education was super cheap there. I think I was paying like 5,000 Canadian a semester and like $10,000 a year. Like that, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, is peanuts. And I wouldn't necessarily say that equipped me inadequately, although I ended up not using even a lick of that economics degree. But in the grand scheme of things, I think it was really the access element and I think about it now and I'm, I wonder, given that opportunity, what does it actually mean? And I think it really comes down to your, where you want to go within your career trajectory, right? I don't know how many people, well, let me ask you this. Do you think it has open doors for you based on like, you know, the brand name of the school you went to, which I think carries a bit of weight because.
1: Well, I mean, that's. I I I agree with, there are some things in Kaplan's essay I disagree with, and I was going to get to that. But the premise that writing your education on a resume is signaling to your employer is very true. It it says something about oh, I had a, the ability to, you know, get into this school, I had the ability to finish. I'm not going to deny that having certain names
0: like if you were a great artist and you led with your work versus what school you went to, what would be more impactful versus if you're, if you're trying to get a job at a big bank and okay, you're well, as, with,
1: as a creative, I think work always speaks louder
0: and work is not predicated on any piece of paper because there's yeah, no. no loose structure. And I think that's the fundamental argument here is that when it comes to, Creative work loosely seen as unstructured, which means that I think school in many ways is structure. So that's why there's a bit of disconnection there. You don't need a schooling background to be successful in the creative world. But when right. it comes to like working at a bank, when it's virtually black and white, when you're when you're a lawyer, that's when there's a validation with a school at your back.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Actually, I don't think Kaplan is referring to creative industries when he writes this essay because creative industries we have writing and photos and visuals that speak way louder that say a lot more about your ability than a school right and if you have a good school on your resume but your work is crap then it doesn't really mean very much but I will say that besides signaling you were able to get in and finish um, a certain school name can also confer like membership to a club in a yeah. way, because it'll be like, oh, I know someone who went to this school or even like I went to this school. And actually that carries a little bit of weight with me. I'm, I'm not in a position to hire someone at the second. But when I look at resumes and see my school on it, it's a connection that I have with them. Yeah. That I'm interested in exploring.
0: Yeah. I think it like is that That clubby mentality. I think it's, Oh, what's your alma mater? Yeah. yeah. Which I, I think the, the, the big issue at hand, the reason why I think this topic is even surfacing is because of the value proposition of education in the United States versus the rest of the world where you could argue that the rest of the world has not put such a premium on post-secondary education, and it's to their benefit. Yes. And I think that that is what I'm trying to get at, and I touched yes. upon it.
1: Actually, on the point of employment, another Macon member, Ernest, mentioned that he is in a position of hiring, and he doesn't put a lot of stock in the university name, but he'll try to find other ways to draw out from these people, whether they're good people. And I think you mentioned that in the Slack community too. Like, is there something that can replace
0: signaling. college education,
1: that kind of signaling?
0: I'm so big on signaling because I, I really believe that in this day and age when you cannot meet everybody, you kind of have to come to your own conclusion based on all the information that might not be as directly mm-hmm. communicated,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: Punctuality is a great, is a great signaler. You don't mm-hmm. have to say anything. You just, are you there on time? You know, if you're gonna say you're gonna do something, is it done? So I think that what Ernest suggested was interesting. He's like, I sometimes just ask like a really random, dumb question, like, is a hot dog a sandwich, just to see if people read the resume. Do they have like a point of view on it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that already, it's it's maybe it's a bit unfortunate that the barriers are so low. Like that's a small hurdle, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think ultimately that that's the one thing that Remove that aside, that, that to me is the greatest value of education currently. I mean, I think the one thing that really opened my eyes, when you come from like a small town in Canada, you move to like a place like Hong Kong, very international. And there's all these things, whether it's companies, whether it's brand name schools that you hear about, you know, oh, you're like you're watching like NCAA Final Four stuff. Oh, I've heard of that school before. And then when you meet someone there, you expect something really lofty. And then sometimes you get let down. I I think that's the one thing that really made me question the importance of education because all of a sudden I saw people that had these really great CVs, but I don't I don't know how adequately prepared they were for the job.
1: Yeah, so Kaplan mentions that as well, and I was going to ask your opinion on it because he reaches this verdict that higher education is uninspiring and consists of students, teachers, and administrators that are all phoning it in, like just doing a lackluster job. And that is not, maybe because I am a inherently optimistic person. I read that and I was like, oh no, like I don't want that to be the case in the vast majority of
0: higher education. From a human psychology point of view, if everyone has agreed that they're just going to be bolstered by the weight of the college or... From a human psychology standpoint, if everyone has agreed that what is going to keep them afloat is the brand name of the school, then what really is the incentive to push?
1: That just makes me that makes it terribly sad that you would then like as a student, you would then just attribute those four years like this is time for me to goof off and have fun for four years before I have to join the working world.
0: And join the working world without proper preparation.
1: Yeah, it it's also striking to me that Kaplan suggests that a lot of students don't think about that mm-hmm. and don't try to get whatever they can out of their university education. Because I do think higher education is a lot of what you as a student put into it mm-hmm. and not just like, obviously, if you have good teachers and good administrators, it makes a difference. But you have to show up, you have to do the work, mm-hmm. you have to want to be thinking in your uni education.
0: I don't think very many people know this, Sharice, but you have recently applied to get your master's. Yes, in I hopes did. Of teaching. That's the ultimate goal, right? Yes, that's the ultimate so goal. why is this piece of content or why is this story relevant to you? And I think it's quite clear, but I want to hear it from your point
1: yeah, of view. Yeah, I mean, I...
0: Did, did it in any way make you question your decision?
1: You know, it's funny because... I said earlier that I agree that a university education, a lot of the value comes from signaling, right? Which would suggest that I don't put a lot of stock in what you learn. But my personal experience is that I did find those four years in school critical for me from a learning perspective, like learning actual skills that have been relevant to the job I do now, and then also just formative as a person. And that is... I mean, I, I know it's based off of who I am and who I was as a student, but I I do think that I approached learning in a way where I was getting skills about thinking and relating to people that mm-hmm. I might not have, that I got in a safer environment than if I'd been thrown into an office, into a studio straight out of high school. So because I personally, like I'd, I'm not just about to be convinced by Kaplan that Higher education is a waste of time and money is the conclusion here, which is why I am still interested in becoming an educator, because I believe that there is value to young people entering design and creative industries. And I want to be part of their learning process.
0: Do you think there's a perspective that you can introduce that is hopefully different or unique?
1: As an educator, you mean?
0: Yes. Because I, I think, think we, we, I think what we've recognized, and it's something that that pops up every, every so often. It's how do you best educate in Mm -hmm, a way that's mm -hmm, engaging? mm -hmm. And, you know, there's always that talk about engagement in the, in an educational field is critical because it's just a different time and place. How you speak to people is just different.
1: I actually want to, I will answer your question of whether I think I can bring something different as an educator. But first I want to bring up two points that I disagreed with Kaplan on. Sure. So, one thing he says straight at the beginning is that we think college is valuable because it teaches job skills. And I disagree with that statement. What about you?
0: I think it really depends on the field and industry. It's, I don't, I think it's not as straightforward. I don't think I, I, it goes back to my, my point before it's like, like you know, I how, just don't
1: think it's, I he makes it sound like it is a publicly held assumption that college is valuable just because it teaches concrete job skills. And I don't think that 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 is not my feeling about public assumptions towards college.
0: It doesn't create a well-rounded personality. I think to your point, what you mentioned about critical thought and analysis, you could argue that universities versus more technical institutions are doing that. But then there's also validity in going to a technical institution that doesn't need to teach you the critical theory and all that stuff it's more about hey just go and do it and this is how you do it right
1: right but that's not what kaplan is saying like kaplan's solution at the end of his essay is vocational training what he's saying in his beginning which i think is directed to liberal arts education is that we think it's valuable because it teaches job skills but i'm pretty sure that people don't think that that they don't think learning Spanish literature and the history of, I don't know, just like those subjects is teaching them job skills. I don't think anyone is under that delusion.
0: I'm, I'm trying to look back on my own experiences and see if I can agree or disagree with that. Because my, my initial sentiment is, yep, I agree that you're right. But then I also want to kind of challenge myself and think, what are things that I learned?
1: It is very industry based. Like if you are going to be an engineer, then you need to learn engineering specific skills but i think except for i think those are the exceptions Mm -hmm. and not the rule for how people approach college okay so the second thing i disagree with is that he says the disconnection the reason behind the disconnection in what colleges teach and what jobs require is because educators just teach what they know and they don't understand real jobs and i disagree with that argument as well
0: what you think that a professor knows what's required
1: you know i don't think i i agree that professors especially people like kaplan you know all their life in academia they graduate and they just go straight into teaching i agree that they probably don't know what real jobs require but i don't think that's why college's curriculum is built the way they are
0: so how are they built
1: I think they're, oh God, I know this sounds so optimistic. I wrote this down too in our notes. I wrote, I think college curriculums are built the way they are for enlightenment. Mm -hmm.
0: That's the romantic notion. Yes. Otherwise we would have, otherwise
1: colleges would all be vocational training.
0: I, I, I think that that is the lofty goal that we should attain for sometimes it just doesn't translate 100%, which is okay. It's more the lofty goal that like, you always do. I took to
1: a course strive. on James Joyce's Ulysses. The entire semester was reading Ulysses and analyzing it. Sounds boring. Okay. I actually really enjoy this class, but, you know, differences in who we are. So I have no, I ha- even as an 18-year-old, whatever, young Cherise did not think, oh, this course on Ulysses is preparing me for a real job. And I didn't think like, oh, my professor has no idea what real work entails, which is why she's teaching me this course on Ulysses.
0: Maybe it's just the sum of all parts. That's how I would generally look at it, because I don't think every single thing at any given moment in time is, you know, you're you're picking up a square peg to put into a, a square hole once you leave and enter the workforce. But you might pick up a quarter of a square peg. (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like you're basically picking up all the parts.
1: Okay. So to circle back eventually, finally, to what I think I can bring as an educator that's different is I think I, I hope that I can communicate with students that this time in college that you've already committed to, right? Like I'm not... I'm not trying to persuade high school students to go or not go. I I want to teach in universities, right? So I want to be able to communicate with my students that this time that you're in school is a safer space than you're going to get once you leave.
0: And why do you think a safe space is necessary?
1: Well, because I specifically want to teach design and, you know, creativity. That safe space free from client restrictions, like you're never going to be car carving out as much time again for your mm-hmm. personal exploration mm-hmm. of your, you know, conceptual ideas. The reality is it just doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's something I knew when so I was in undergrad.
0: You think it's important to have a lack of restriction and boundaries to have the full range of experiences from a lot of re- client restrictions to no restrictions and then you can operate within that whole spectrum.
1: Yeah. Cool. And I, and I, I'm not. don't. I don't, I don't want to, I would as an educator, I do think I had professors who Did not paint an accurate picture of the working world. And as an educator, I do feel responsible to explain this is what it's going to be like when you work. But I don't think college has to be 100% that. Should
0: we move on? My topic this week is focused on a new book that came out called Hello Web Design, Design Fundamentals and Shortcuts for Non-Designers. So it's a recent book by Tracy Osborne. She began writing books in 2014 after being frustrated with how books and just general literature was educating people on programming, web app programming specifically.
1: Specifically towards beginners.
0: Towards beginners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of uh, taken from our website. Beginner design books assume you want to become an expert designer. What if you want to learn just enough to complement your existing work? Hello Web Design will teach you the basics about design, no history, and give you shortcuts so you can immediately become a better designer. So she funded this book by kickstarting it in early 2017 with over 700 people backing the project. And what I find interesting is that I believe that some of these more technical skills deserve to have some sort of takedown version because I 100% agree that that expert approach that often books introduce is unnecessary because not everyone wants to be there at that level. Um, I know you can't see Sharice's face, but she's pondering. (laughs) She's pondering hard over there. But to finish off sort of the intro, Uh uh I think the important idea by Tracy is But what if you wanted to learn just enough design to enhance your existing career? Uh, And, you know, one of the things that I find myself sort of trying to figure out, too, is, you know, I work with quote unquote designers quite often, whether it's you or Alex. And sometimes I find myself struggling to not necessarily be part of the conversation, but how to have a meaningful conversation to ensure that both sides understand each other. And I think this is one thing you could probably speak to. And maybe that's why I chose this too, this topic, is that your design background could potentially shed some light on how designers could, should work with non-technical designers or non-creative people.
1: Um, I, the reason I am pondering so hard, this is actually so relevant to the conversation I had last week with Edward about HuffPost, because it's this idea of, how do you make a skill, an industry feel like anyone can join, but also make sure that that industry stays preserved as a viable occupation? And Can you, I think can you give
0: an example of another industry that's like that? Like writing, photography comes to mind? Yeah,
1: photography. That's okay. what I talked about with Edward. Uh, writing and photography are both like that. Design is also kind of like that. Uh-huh. I think... Design, there's a bit of a higher barrier because there's software involved. So just being able to use the software is a skill. And while I understand the need for materials like this, I think it contributes to that feeling like, oh, I don't need to hire a designer. I can do it. Or worse, I'm going to hire a designer, but I'm not going to pay them very much because I could do
0: it. Got it. That's an interesting point.
1: Yeah. And Be- I, I, I I hesitate to say that point because I know it makes me sound like this threatened designer, but I just I think it's like an attitude surrounding an industry that never happens to certain industries, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor, no one ever thinks, oh, I could do that. And Part of me wants that feeling about
0: design. Do you think the way that Tracy has reduced this to the lowest common denominator or at least made an attempt in a positive manner is detrimental? We've seen this take place in photography. That's probably the the best mm-hmm. example of a industry that was severely threatened by everyone having a camera in their possession.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's hard to say because I haven't actually read
0: The book. I I read, I had a sample. Okay. And I read the first chapter or so, and it felt very easy to digest. And you've provided a very simple linear. Well, whether it's linear or not, I only I only got through the sample, which is probably like a chapter and a half. And I was like, Oh, okay, you know what? I feel at ease here. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like I can come to the conversation with a designer and not necessarily be like, I'm the expert, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but ask questions that they're probably going through your mind. Mm -hmm. So I think we're approaching it from different perspectives where I'm the the new person who maybe doesn't ever really intend to do design work. Yeah. But I just want to be able to effectively communicate my thoughts and ideas when I'm working with a professional versus versus you who is like, maybe this gets in the hands of someone who their perception is a little bit different.
1: Despite what I've said, I do like... The positioning that she puts on the website you know like this isn't so that you can she the attitude i get is not that oh read this book so you can replace your designer or become your designer and do that designer's job but so that you can communicate better with them or you can solve simple problems that don't require having someone full-time yeah right like on the first page it says learn basic design theory, design thinking, and shortcuts aimed at developers, marketers, and non-designers. And from your perspective, I do agree that if the developers I worked with and the clients I worked with had a better understanding of what my job entails, that would save me some time. Mm -hmm. Because often in my first conversation with clients, I have to outline, this is what I do and this is what I don't do. Mm -hmm. So I do understand that.
0: Do you think that your graphic design background helps with photography now that you're getting a little bit more into photography no it doesn't no i don't know i'm just curious because no. the reason i bring that up is like i'm trying to see if if i had a better grasp of design if that would influence how i would look at photography because there's a lot of amazing like designers out there that are also great photographers
1: this is a conversation that is not related to hello web design at all mm-hmm. but when okay so i bought a new camera for the listeners. I bought a Pentax SBO 120S. So it's a small 35mm zoom. Film camera. Film camera. And I think the problem is that, so I'm not looking to be a professional photographer. This is just trying to be a hobby. The problem is that you look at the entire world and you could photograph anything. Like even just this room, it feels overwhelming to me to think about. I'm not like, you know, anxiety overwhelming, but it's just already when I think about taking a photo, the options are so limitless. The amount of ranges and perspectives, it it just seems like a lot. But when I approach graphic design, it's with a very p- clear problem in front of me and I just have a white page and I add things to it. So mm-hmm. it's a very different approach. Different. Approach. I'm not narrowing down from existing things. I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm assembling mm-hmm. my solution.
0: So it's like the reverse. Yeah. Kind Interesting.
1: Yeah. You know, so I don't think it helps me, but maybe, I mean, I'm sure other people see it differently. Yeah.
0: Have you seen that your relationship with people as design becomes more at the forefront of people's lives and culture in general, that, the conversation has become easier like the conversation you have clients in 2018 versus 2016 or 2015
1: i do even though i expressed a fear earlier that design will be perceived as something anyone can do i think there has been in hong kong an improvement in the way clients perceive design as as in they perceive it as valuable they see it as And I think it's partially because Hong Kong is still kind of catching up to Western design perspectives in this regard. So they're just catching on to the whole like, you know, things still like parallax scrolling can blow their minds, right? That kind of attitude. So I like the fact that they feel like it's more valuable, but I don't think they have a better understanding of what my job actually looks like.
0: Well, I think everyone understands the value of design. But I also think that when it comes to the actual execution, I actually think the steep learning curve is obviously to the benefit of a designer. Like I was uh, I was just like messing around with Canva. Right. For people that aren't familiar, it's this really big site that now allows people to basically work with a bunch of templates over a range of different applications. Like, oh, I need to design a Facebook uh, banner ad or I need to do a flyer for an event or I need to do a presentation, like it provides you with all these tools. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, maybe this is like going to be up to spec. And like, you know, if someone needs something really simple done, it, it'll work. And I was going through it and I'm like, it it definitely provides a corner of graphic design. But I think that that's sort of the beautiful element of that that world is that it's so complex that it can have so many different elements. And I think a good graphic designer also understands the emotional resonance it's trying to create. So, like, when I went on there, I was like, oh, man, these are kind of cheesy. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that's just maybe more representative of what this type of person who is using cannabis is looking for. Mm -hmm. Not to say they're looking for cheesy, but they're just looking for something a little bit more takedown. And it just needs to be there versus it's trying to actually push and and achieve maybe a more profound goal. Which is, I think, why your job may or may not be in danger. I mean, I... No, no, I don't think,
1: no, I don't think my actual clients are going to stop coming to me. I think it is the general perception of design that could be at danger. But I think one of the biggest culprits is sites like Fiverr Mm -hmm. and actually the people doing the erosion there are designers who are just willing to do work for cheap. And I understand that some designers like maybe that's the situation in life has tossed them, but that that can really do yeah. damage. Well, um, I'm, I'm
0: just curious, like for people that understand design, but don't value it. You know what I mean? They're like, I need something, quote unquote design, but don't value it. Does that inherently suggest a certain type of business? Yeah. As in like, you know, going forward, if you want to separate yourself from the pack, then design becomes a very important thing you need to invest in. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Right. And I mean, at making, I would say that, is very important, mm-hmm. right? And I also want to find a way to support the community. Like, as a startup, you don't have necessarily the same budget as a big publisher, but at the same time, it's like this is hard-earned money that hopefully it means something to you. Maybe it's not your market rate. Maybe it's, you know, at the very lower echelon. But, you know, I think it's hopefully an opportunity for people to grow and they understand that we respect it. Because, I mean, even when we come to Macon, like I think there's a very definitive sort of difference that you see with.
1: You mean if you come into our office?
0: Not just the office, just like the experience. Okay. Digitally. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing is like you can let Fiverr and those things exist, but it will always only cater to one type of company. Yeah. One yeah. type of and uh, business and that's fine. And I'm, I'm not, not din- fighting
1: for that work anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I do like about this book, about these Hello Web books is There is a whole sector of people who need a little bit of design but shouldn't pay someone because it's, like, way too much time and energy for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. And this has happened to me where you engage with someone and you find out, like, what they need is super simple. And also, you think it's, like, oh, it's within your capabilities. It's, like, not even worth it for us to have all of this back and forth. Mm -hmm. So... I think you just have to identify like, am I the person for this book? Like, are these my needs, or am am I actually in need of a yeah. full time? I mean, at designer? the end
0: of the day, what I feel is important is that when I look at what's what's out there, right? I think in the very early stages, having something very easy to sink your teeth into is important. So it's almost like oversimplification is not a bad thing because oversimplification. Does not mean you cannot level up. And also, I think even if you're put in an oversimplified position or like you're learning from an oversimplified manual, when you actually apply it and you realize there's some shortcomings there, hopefully that will, the light will go off and you're like, hey, you know what, actually, I need to go deeper into this. And maybe you're inspired to go deeper. So maybe that's like sort of the the curve, right? It's not a linear curve where you're, you start at the bottom. And as you work your way up, it's just like a, a very it's a very smooth curve. Maybe it curves up a little faster and it becomes more complex the deeper you go because you have the foundation to support that.
1: Okay. Are you going to buy this book?
0: I will look more into it, but I'm probably not because- But why not? I think that I, I currently recognize my shortcomings within the whole like dialogue between a designer and myself. And I also have like this Ability to lean on you guys. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably the reason why versus if you were, you know, devoid of any sort of designer network. You have
1: real life tutorial.
0: Exactly. So I think kind of understanding people's perspective, like speaking to you and like understanding, Hey, why, why did you make this decision?
1: But do you think like,
0: I have a question actually. uh When a client comes to you and says, I don't like this. Uh What is the next steps of that conversation that you like to push them towards? Like, do you try to find out why? Do
1: you, yeah. Yeah. If if a client comes to me and says, I don't like it, I work really hard to figure out exactly why they don't and like it. Do you it. have a
0: game plan for that? Like a, a checklist of questions that you're running mm, through your head?
1: Yeah. I would say, you know, what feeling does it give you? Which part of it do you not like? Which, are there any parts of it that you do like? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's like overall they are net negative, but it's actually just one thing that's. Mm-hmm making them feel that way.
0: So knowing what you've just said there, does someone like you and your perspective as a designer negate the need for this book? Because if the ultimate goal is communication and you're trying to think proactively on how to enhance that client designer relationship, in actuality, this book becomes redundant.
1: I mean, there is an onus on all designers. I think that if you are a good designer working with a client, you should be able to educate your client on how to communicate with you as well. And Mm. I don't, I don't like to even
0: for like small new clients, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Mm. I don't like to blame my clients for not being able to tell me what they want. They Mm -hmm. don't know how to talk about what they want.
0: Got it. Properly.
1: And I know there are designers who get, and yes, it is sometimes frustrating. I'm not, you know, a saint, but I don't think that it's their fault. That they don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think this book is for, like, if you are an individual with a portfolio site, or probably not a portfolio like, let's say you're a writer, and you want to put your writing samples online, mm-hmm. and you don't need to hire a designer, but you want to make it look better.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I think that's the use case that I see. I'm really glad we were able to sneak in one live recording before you fly again.
0: Yes. Oh, she nice. might be back next week in time for the recording actually cool cool yeah
1: all right good place to end things If you are interested in learning more about Macon and our membership opportunities, which include weekly briefings, exclusive content, members-only Slack community, you can check us out at Macon.com. There you can also listen and view more of our stories that are focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. And if you could do us a huge favor, please review us on iTunes, whether it's the Macon main feed or making It Up. It's really helpful, and we try to read every review. Actually, that's a bad excuse. We should we should read every review because there aren't that many.
1: I mean, I don't think that's like gonna be the incentive for someone to leave a review. All right, we're
0: we're 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 leave a review.
1: We're gonna read it, but you should just leave a review if you, you know, kindness of your heart feel like you should rate us.
0: I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. and this is making it up.